You are listening to River City Revival. This is Reverend Liz Jackson. Today's sermon is Reality and Society, History of the Roman Catholic Church Government and Armies, Part 4. As always, in the description box of this podcast, you will find a link to Lion's Tears Ministry, where I highly encourage you to vet all this information. Please, I used simple Google searches with access everyone has so you can understand. In part one, we broke down the meaning of the words Roman Catholic Church and Vatican as well as touched upon some idol worshiping and why Latin was and is the official language of the Roman Catholic Church. In part two, We talked about the formation of the Roman government. We learned that Rome was first called the Eternal City. It had seven kings and was a monarchy, just like the Vatican is today. We learned Rome had a wall, just like the Vatican City has a wall. And we learned the origin of Pontifus Maximus, which is the title of the Pope and was established by Numa Pompulus, King Number 2. We also learned about the small army of the Vatican called the Swiss Army. In Part 3, we learned that the United States government and other countries are formulated after the Roman Empire. The monarchy ended in 509 BC and started again in 1229 AD with the Pope as the untouchable head where a republic was formed, ran by the rich known as the Senate, and the poor were just that poor. We learned about Vestal Virgins and Consecrated Virgins, as well as the Orders of the Unholy Roman Catholic Church, and the Book of Tobit was written around this time as well, when Israel was in exile. Again, Mystery Babylon is your entire world. The Pope, all of them, are your false prophets, and the Roman Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. In part four, we're going to discuss the Roman Empire under those who killed Yahusha. Where appropriate, I'll insert questions about the Pope or Vatican and or the United States government as I live in the U.S. So from 100 to 4 B.C. arrives Julius Caesar from Britannica.com. He was born in 100 in July and died on the Ides of March, of March 15th, 44 BC. I remember all of that in history class, by the way. Like, that was a big to-do. Whatever. I, ooh. Anyway. So, he was the vicar of civil war of 49 through 50 BC, and dictator who launched a series of political and social reforms when he was assassinated by a group of nobles in the Senate House on the Ides of March. Again, I don't know why anybody wants to associate themselves with Rome, but the unholy Roman Catholic Church does. So, again. But Caesar's nickname, like Alexander's, is still on people's lips throughout the Christian and Islamic world. Even people who know nothing about Caesar as a historic personality are familiar with his names as a title signifying a ruler who is, in some sense, uniquely supreme or paramount. The meaning of Kaiser in German 
Tsar in the Slavic language and Khazar in the languages of the Islamic world have preserved Julius Caesar's name. Caesar's clan name is Julius. It's also familiar in the Christian world for in Caesar's lifetime, the Roman month Quintilius in which he was born was renamed July in his honor. This name has survived as has Caesar's reform of the calendar. Why would it survive? Because the entire world is the Roman Empire, aka the Roman Catholic Church government. That's why it survived. The old Roman calendar was inaccurate and manipulated for political purposes. Caesar's calendar, the Julian calendar, is still partially enforced in the Eastern Orthodox Christian countries. And the Gregorian calendar, now used in the West, is the Julian, slightly corrected by Pope Gregory VIII. So here we have changing of times again and signs of Yah's return. Paul writes to the Thessalonians about what to expect when Yahushua returns. He opens by foretelling first all that Christ's return will be preceded by a period of apostasy that could include anything from a falling away, a departure from doctrine or teaching, all the way to and including an outright political rebellion. The second sign would be the appearance of the man of sin. This person has four different names or titles, but all of them are described similarity. The man of sin, talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 through 10, the little horn in Daniel 7, 8, the two-horned lamb who spoke like a dragon in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, and the false prophet of Revelation 19, verses 20. The description in each location is not exactly alike, but each adds to what the other gives. Consider the summary of comparison. And I took this from BibleTools.org. So the comparison states in two of them, he either thinks to change times and laws, suggesting the law of God, or he sets himself in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The implication is that he has the authority to do these things. And that's what Daniel 7.25 and 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 tells us. So that is, again, the Vatican, the Pope, the entire Roman Catholic Church. Back to Julius Caesar. The Julius Caesars trace their lineage back to the goddess Venus. But the family was not snobbish or conservative-minded. No, but they killed people and, you know, whatever. One of the prerequisites of the praetorship and the consulship was the government of a province, which gave ample authority for plunder. The whole Mediterranean world was, in fact, at the mercy of the Roman nobility and of a new class of Roman businessmen, the equites, or knights, which had grown rich on military contracts and on taxing farmers. So what is a praetorship? Praetor is also spelled P-R-A-E-T-O-R or P-R-E-T-O-R in English and was a title granted by the government of ancient Rome to men acting in one of two official capacities, the commander of an army and as an elected magistrate assigned various duties. Hmm. Is the Pope elected? 
Popes are chosen by the College of Cardinals, the church's most senior officials who are appointed by the Pope and usually ordained bishops. They are summoned to a meeting at the Vatican, which is followed by the papal election or conclave. My next question, does the Roman Catholic Church have magistrates? And that's a question I just typed into Google. An ecclesiastical judge is an ecclesiastical person who possesses ecclesiastical jurisdiction, either in general or in the strict sense, up until 1858 when ecclesiastical courts were abolished. Ecclesiastical judges tried church clergymen and church courts or ecclesiastical courts. Charges dealt in these courts were often very lenient, especially when dealt to church clergymen. So, yes, the Roman Catholic Church is its own magistrate. What is an ecclesiastical court? I asked. Britannica.com states an ecclesiastical court, also called court Christian or court spiritual, is any of certain courts having jurisdiction mainly in spiritual or religious matters. In the Middle Ages, these courts had much wider powers in many areas of Europe than before the development of nation states. During earlier periods in history, the ecclesiastical courts often had a degree of temporal jurisdiction, and in the Middle Ages, the courts of the Roman Catholic Church revolved the temporal courts in power, meaning the Roman Catholic Church, just like today, controlled everything. What does the word sacrament mean? That was something that Abba had me ask. The word sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentum. In ancient Rome, sacrament was a legal term. It referred to a bond you posted at the beginning of a lawsuit as the proof of your good faith that you would pay the judgment if you lost. By extension, it also referred to the oath you took at the beginning of military service, which is itself a pledge of good faith. Before the Romans, taking an oath to enter military service was not just a pledge of good faith. It was also a religious commitment. By the time of Caesar Augustus, many Romans thought that the Roman emperor was a god, and the worship of the emperor became an official part of Roman life. When a man entered the emperor's service, the Romans considered it a permanent religious commitment. The man received a branding with a hot iron as a permanent mark of that commitment. So how many sacraments are there in the Roman Catholic Church? Britannica.com states the Roman Catholic Church has seven holy sacraments that are seen as mystical channels of divine grace instituted by Christ. The seven sacraments of the Catholic Church are baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, reconciliation, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and marriage. Baptism brings a person into the church and cleanses them of original sin. Confirmation strengthens the power of baptism and gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. FYI, these courts were never abolished. What happened is this. The Roman Catholic Church and Pope now run the world and all the nations of the United Nations must answer and do what the beast says. 
Confirmation does not strengthen baptism. I come from a Lutheran church because a baby cannot speak for themselves and proclaim Yahusha as his or her savior. Confirmation is not legit as the Ten Commandments have been changed again in the unholy Roman Catholic Church where idolatry was removed. And they did that because they view the Pope as God, just like they did with Caesar. So back to Julius Caesar. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar gave himself the title of perfect of morals, which meant he could hold censorial powers without being subject to them himself. So what is censorial powers? FreeDictionary.com states a person authorized to examine books, film, or other material and to remove or suppress what is considered morally, publicly, or otherwise objectionable. One that condemns or censors. So my next question was, can the Pope go to jail? And this is taken from Vice.com. The Pope is the supreme legislator, the supreme judge, the supreme governor of the church. It's a monarchy, so he cannot be arrested, and people may call for his resignation, but the only one who can make that decision about his resignation is the Pope himself. So the unholy Roman Catholic Church has an untouchable head as well, which is why Abba Yah has to come back. Seven, or 74 BC through 80, King Herod, and this comes from LiveScience.com. King Herod, sometimes called Herod the Great, was the king of Judea who ruled the territory with Roman approval. While Judea was an independent kingdom, it was under heavy Roman influence, and Herod came to power with Roman support. Herod executed Merame in 29 BC over accusations that she committed adultery and tried to kill him. Merame was his wife. Herod had at least 10 wives and believed that Judaism allowed polygamy. The king also executed his sons, Alexander and Aristobulus in 7 BC, and Antipater II, Herod's oldest son, whom he had with another wife in 4 BC. Herod accused the three sons of trying to kill him. Herod confiscated property belonging to those who he believed did not support his rule, and the confiscation of the wealth of the hostile Jewish upper class made him exceedingly rich and provided Herod with funds to pay for the continued goodwill of his Roman overlord, Mark Anthony, Verms wrote. So again, that's from LiveScience.com. BibleArchaeology.org states Herod was crowned king of the Jews by the Roman Senate in 40 BC in Rome. He was, however, a king without a kingdom. Upon his return to the land of Israel, he was given a Roman army and was eventually able to capture Jerusalem. The first order of business was to eliminate his Hasmonean predecessors. Matthias Antogonus was executed with the help of Mark Antony, and Herod killed 45 leading men of Antigonus's party in 37 BC. He had the elderly John Hypercranius II strangled over an alleged plot to overthrow Herod in 30 BC, and this comes from Antiquities. 
um, chapter 15, pages 173 through 178. Herod continued to purge the Hasmonean family. He eliminated his brother-in-law, Aristobulus, who was at the time an 18-year-old high priest. He was drowned in 35 BC by Herod's men in the swimming pool of the Winter Palace in Jericho because Herod thought the Romans would favor Artabolus as ruler of Judea instead of him. He also had his Hasmonean mother-in-law, Alexandria, the mother of Merame, executed in 28 BC. And he even killed his second wife, Merame, in 29 BC. She was his beloved Hasmonean bride whom he loved to death, literally. Around 20 BC, Herod remitted one-third of the people's taxes in order to carry favor with them. However, he did set up an internal spy network and eliminated people suspected of revolt, most being taken by Harkansia, a fortress in the Judean desert. Herod also had three, son three of his sons killed. Um, we read about that. Herod the Great became extremely paranoid during the last four years of his life. On one occasion in 7 BC, he had 30 military leaders executed. On another, he had a number of Pharisees executed in the same year after it was revealed that they predicted to Pheroras' wife, um, which was Herod's younger brother, that by God's decree, Herod's throne would be taken from him, both from himself and his descendants, and the royal power would fall to her and Pheroras and to any child that they may have. With prophecies like these circulating within his kingdom, is it any wonder Herod wanted to eliminate Yahusha when the wise men revealed the new true king of Israel had been born? <sighs> but the unholy Roman Catholic Church still is alive and kicking. 63 BC to 14 AD, enter Augustus. He's the first Roman emperor. He's also called Augustus Caesar or Octavian. And he was born in September 23rd, 63 BC and died in August uh, 194 AD, which is why August is named August, by the way. Um, Augustus was the first emperor. The policies of Augustus towards the Jews of the Roman Empire in general and the inhabitants of Judea in particular followed the favorable line established by Julius Caesar. But with respect to Judea, the emperor's personal friendship with Herod probably played the decisive role. Herod's rule in Judea was contemporaneous with the rule of Augustus and a close relationship existed between the two monarchs. It was Augustus together with Mark Antony who had been instrumental in the Senate's appointment of Herod as ruler of Judea. After the defeat of Antony at Actium, Herod had been summoned by Augustus to Rhodes to explain his relations with the defeated Antony and had succeeded in gaining the favor and friendship of the new emperor. And that's from JewishVirtualLibrary.org. 
It was Caesar who launched the young Octavius in Roman public life. At the age of 12, he made his debut by delivering the funeral speech of his grandmother, Julia. Three or four years later, he received the coveted membership of the Board of Priests, also known as Pontifices. So, hmm. Octavius the Bishop or Octavius the Pope. That came from Britannica.com. Julius Caesar's recognition as a god of the Roman state in January of 42 BC enhanced Octavian's prestige as the son of God. Again from Britannica.com. And did you know in 8 BC, Augustus had the Roman month of Sextilius renamed after himself as his great uncle and predecessor, Julius Caesar had done with July. August was the month of several of the emperor's greatest victories, including the defeat and suicide of Antony and Cleopatra. He did not increase the month's length, which had been 31 days, since the establishment of the Julian calendar in 45 BC. And that comes from history.com. So how can you include the defeat and suicide of Antony and Cleopatra as a great victory? Whew, whole world's confused. I am so oh thankful Abba Yah has set me free. During his 40-year reign, Augustus nearly doubled the size of the empire, adding territories in Europe and Asia Minor, and securing alliances that gave him effective rule from Britain to India. He spent much of his time outside of Rome, consolidating power in the providences and instituting a system of censuses and taxation that integrated the empire's furthest reach. He expanded the Roman network of roads, founded the Praetorian Guard and the Roman Postal Service, and remade Rome with both grand, a new forum, and a practical gesture, police, and fire departments. Augustus Caesar died in AD 14, his empire secured and at peace. He reported his last words were twofold to his subjects. He said, I found Rome of clay, I leave it to you of marble, but... To the friends who had stayed with him in his rise to power, he ha he added, Have I played the part well? Then applaud me as I exit. Soon after that acknowledgement of human frailty, the Senate officially declared their departed emperor, like Julius Caesar before him, to be a god. So how does someone become a saint in the Roman Catholic Church? The process by which someone becomes a saint is called canonization. The Catholic Church has canonized about 3,000 people. The exact number is unknown because not all saints were officially canonized. According to the Church, the Pope does not make someone a saint. The designation of sainthood only recognizes what God already has done. For centuries, saints were chosen through public opinion. In the 10th century, Pope John the 15th developed an official canonized process. Here are the steps that must be followed in the process of canonization. One, the local bishop investigates the candidate's life and writings for evidence of heroic virtue. The information uncovered by the bishop is sent to the Vatican. A panel of theologians and cardinals of the Congregation for Cause of Saints evaluate the candidate's life. 
Three, if the panel approves, the Pope proclaims that the candidate is venerable, which means that the person is a role model of Catholic virtues. Again, not Abba Yah's virtues, but Catholic virtues. Four, the next step toward sainthood is beautification, which allows a person to be honored by a particular group or region. In order to beautify a candidate, it must be shown that the person is responsible for a posthumous miracle. Martyrs, those who die for their religious cause, can be beatified without evidence of a miracle. On October 20th, 2003, Mother Teresa was beautified. She is now known as Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Number five, in order for the candidate to be considered a saint, there must be proof of a second posthumous miracle. If there is, the person is canonized. So after the doctors have signed off, it goes to a panel of theologians who then have to judge whether the miracle is the sort of thing that God would do. Like the Roman Catholic Church is dictating what God would do. After that, it goes before the cardinals and bishops on the congregation of the cause of the saints who are entrusted with ensuring that the beautification is in the church's best interest. Again, God's not in this at all. I need you to understand that. Finally, it's referred to the Pope himself who has the final say. The second miracle needed for sainthood can come a few months or a few centuries after the first. This is partly because it can take a while for new miracles to occur, but also because political realities change. Holy figures can become increasingly popular or influential or less so over the years, leading the congregation to reopen their causes. Causes are never permanently closed. The congregation keeps a file of all considered for beautification on record in the Vatican archives. But the vast majority of those who are beautified will never become saints. The last new saints were a group of six, including the first ever Australian, canonized by Benedict the 16th on October 17th. There are currently over a hundred or 10,000 named saints. Sorry, I wanted to add a zero to that. It's 10,000. Definition of canonized by Merriam-Webster, used as a transitive verb, means to declare a deceased person, an official recognized saint, to make canonical, to sanction by ecclesiastical authority, to attribute authoritative sanctions or approval. What is a synonym? This is important. A synonym is a word, morpheme, or phrase that means exactly or nearly the same as another word, morpheme, or phrase in the same language. So synonyms for canonize, again, according to Merriam-Webster, means adore, adulate, deify, dote on, hero worship, idolize, and worship. Even the process of becoming a saint in the Roman Catholic Church revolves around politics. Wow, and then they judge based upon what God would do. If you cannot see that this is 100% blasphemous and has led millions and billions of people astray, I pray for your soul. To canonize someone is to worship them and to idolize them. And this is one reason the second commandment on idols is removed from the Lutheran and Catholic 
doctrines. Brothers and sisters, it took me to understand the history and to go to the dictionary, as I always do, to uncover this information. People just want to read over words and not know what it means. To canonize someone means to idolize and to worship them. That is what a synonym means. Forty-two BC to thirty-seven AD is Tiberius. In full, Tiberius Caesar Augustus or Tiberius Julius Caesar Augustus, originally named Tiberius Claudius Nero, um, was the second Roman emperor, the adopted son of Augustus, whose imperial institutions and imperial boundaries he sought to preserve. In his last years, he became a tyrannical recluse inflicting a reign of terror against the major parsonages of Rome. The reign of Rome, my brothers and sisters, is still alive and well today. Names in Latin seem to have remained the same, but it's the English that you need to look at because they're not going to tell you straight out what words mean. You have to go find that yourself or listen to Abba Yah, and he will direct you as he directs me. The reign of Rome, still alive today. It's just in the disguise of a church and the Republic Democrat countries of the world. And it's time to wake up. It's past time to wake up and follow Abba Yah and his true word and come out of her. Again, lying lips are abominations to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. And that's Proverbs twelve twenty two. And I, again, use simple information that you can Google search into Google yourself and ask these questions. Again, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And the Roman Catholic Church government and its armies is the Roman Empire. And that is the mystery. The entire world is Babylon, which means confusion. And the mystery of that is the Roman Empire still alive and kicking today. Please, I urge you to wake up. As always, it's never goodbye, but I'll see you later.